Flash fiction is, is for fans of particular TV programs. You know, if you like a, a program like uh, Game of Thrones or CSI Miami or Breaking Bad, whatever you like, people like to gather online and write stories, fictional stories, about what would happen if characters in those shows had sex with each other. <laughs> it, it's, it's basically pornographic fiction for fans of TV shows. It doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't matter. It's niche. It's a small community online. They enjoy it. It's not in your face. It doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't affect you in any way, does it? Does it? Does it? Until it does. Because I'm here to tell you this evening, New York, that it turns out there is such a thing as Daily Show slash fiction. I voyaged into the strangest 45 minutes of my life. Story after story, page after intricately written page of Jon Stewart and Stephen Colbert having sex with me. Hello and welcome back to Box Popcast. I am Chris Maverick, your host, and I am, as always, with Wayne Wise. I am Wayne Wise, and as always, I'm here with Mav, except for last week when I wasn't. Well, you were. <laughs> I, I wasn't here last week, which is actually really neat to be able to sort of listen to the show. And I was like, oh, this, this isn't bad. There might be something <laughs> <laughs> Without that annoying guy who usually hosted it, it was great. So, well, last week's show was a little different. And last week's show was all serious and about, you know, deep, meaningful topics. Shameless self-promotion. Well, yeah, but I mean, it was about yeah. it was, it was about Holocaust survivors. It was, I mean, it was it was actually fascinating. If you haven't listened to the previous episode yet, you should go back and and check it out. I loved listening to it, but it was very serious and somber and not nearly enough yeah. fucking cursing. Yeah, it, it it's hard to have a lot of levity when you're talking about the Holocaust. Yeah, but I enjoyed it. Yeah. It was an, it was informative, and there were some good stories. It was neat hearing Rockwell's perspective. So yeah. I, so I enjoyed it. It was great hearing Marcelo. I hope they're both back on the show sometime when I'm yeah. actually here. But today. We decided we did the nice serious thing. So let's go back to talking about funny books and things where we can swear and things not quite as serious. Of course, with a slight serious tone as this show usually has. Slight. Yeah, slight. We'll see. So we're going to talk about fanfic and gender and sex. And obviously, if you're going to talk about fanfic and gender, you want to old straight men to discuss yes. this, right? That seemed like the obvious yes. choice. Or... Or we decided we could invite a couple of guests like we do every week. So we have two guests this week. The first is now I'm going to I'm going to butcher her last name because I am horrible about that. And people can't just pick cool last names like I did <laughs> or have short four letter names. <laughs> Wise, yeah. just just dictionary words, you know, but, <laughs> but but the first guest is Bethany Citrini, correct? Yes, you did great. Oh, wow. Okay. I should, I should say it wrong and then add that in post. <laughs> like so many guests from this show, I know Bethany from PCAACA, my favorite conference that I go to. Actually, a really interesting story. I met Bethany two years ago, I'm going to say. And the way this happened was, as you do before the conference comes up, you sort of look through the program just for things that you might be interested in seeing beside your talk. It's like, what can I do in the time where I'm not you know, bullshitting at length as I do on this show and as you all hear me do. And it's like, well, let me go see some interesting things. And at the time, I was very interested in a show that was it was very big at the time called Orphan Black. If you've not seen Orphan Black, it's amazing. I, I hope everybody checks it out. So I was just like, well, I wonder if there's any talks on Orphan Black. And so I do a search on the website for talks on Orphan Black. And I see one that was called, and I don't remember the exact title, so I'm going to do it as best as I can from memory. If I had a clone, I would totally fuck her. Queer gender politics in orphan black fan fiction. Something like that. And I looked at it and I'm like, well, that's the most important thing I'm going to do all week. I, <laughs> obviously, I'm going to this. <laughs> and, 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 and it's like, there's no way that I'm not going to this. And as you've heard me joke on this show before, my wife has very little interest in geeky things like this other uh, other than humoring me. Yeah, yeah, you do something very important, honey. So I was just like, <laughs> look, look at this talk. Look, I have to go see this. I'm in love with this woman. And, and <laughs> that's that's fine <laughs> it's like i might leave you and she's like uh and you, so do you know the first coming no and in fact given the topic and reading the abstract she's probably not even straight she has no idea who, who i am it doesn't matter this is the best talk it's the only thing that's important about i don't care about my paper anymore i'm going to this 
<laughs> so and then like, again, my wife didn't care. So I had to like go to another friend of mine who was a fan of Warfare Black. And so I went and told, uh, told my friend Josie and Josie and Josie looks at it and she goes, I'm in love with this woman. And I'm like, I know. Right. <laughs> so that's how. So 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 I made sure I went to Bethany's talk and that and that's where I met Bethany. So Bethany, welcome. Thank you. After that, after, after that introduction. <laughs> Yeah, it was great meeting you there. I had no idea that anyone would intentionally come to hear me talk, but I'm glad that you did. <laughs> what was the paper actually about? Just because uh, I, I, I summarized, but <laughs> yeah, you're you're close. It is uh, focusing on the uh, clone cest shipping. So people in Orphan Black fandom, a lot of them ship the clones together, um, mm-hmm. and I find it really interesting. And I won't say that I don't also find it attractive myself, <laughs> but. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that's what that paper was mostly about. I am amazed, how, given where that show goes, that in the entire five-year history of the show, is it five seasons? Yeah. They never actually deal with that. And they it, don't. Um, it amazes me. And I understand why they don't do it with any of the main characters, but they have effectively an infinite amount of clones that they can use. Yeah. Someone should have addressed it, and they don't. So yeah. I, so that that always amazed me. Yeah, so it's addressed in fanfic a lot. <laughs> Yeah, well, which is what fanfic's for, and we will yeah. get back to that in a, in a moment. Because awesome. our, our other guest is a friend of mine that I've known for, as we were talking before the show, let's say three years, but no, it's like 25, cause, but, but it, that can't be possible because I'm only 21 years old. So there's, <laughs> but somehow, somehow I've known Laura Valentine, Laura JV, for 24, 25 years now. And she is our other guest. And Laura has been writing fanfic and slash fic, particularly, I'm going to say, with Harry Potter online for a couple of decades. A couple of decades is, is pretty accurate. <laughs> I, think, I think I first posted fanfic online in 1997, but it might have been earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, it is not primarily Harry Potter, although I do, I do write Harry Potter. Um, <laughs> There's a wide variety of fandoms. I'm probably most well known in Star Trek, Kirk Spock slash, and then possibly in uh, Legolas Gimli because there aren't very many people who write that. I'm one of the only ones. I actually knew that you did Star Trek and I forgot. And I think you've mentioned the Legolas Gimli before. No, I'm sure you've mentioned that before. So if you read the blog, which you should be reading at www.boxpopcast.com, this is very much about not just fanfic, but slash fic and the issues of gender that are often tied. Well, I mean, obviously in slash, but in fanfic in general, issues of gender, issues of sexuality that are often tied up in it. And... Also, the fact that most fanfic writers, and it's hard to tell depending on whose calculation, but well over 50%, perhaps over 70%, perhaps over 90 depending, again, whose, whose calculations you've used, are female. And so I thought, well, this is something fascinating to talk about. This is certainly a subcultural issue. And I'm not an expert, but I know people. So that's where we are today. It's a very interesting place to be. <laughs> So given everything I said, I'm going to start with the straight white male on the panel and say, Wayne, what are your thoughts? <laughs> I, uh, well, you no, know, cause I, I find, I find it interesting just that this is a, an outlet for creativity for, for people. You know, it's a way to, it's a different way to engage in your fandom. And I think, you know, any of us who are engaged in any fandom, we want more stories of these characters. And one of the ways to do that is to write more stories of these characters. And that just opens it up to this whole other, we, you know, we create our own headcanon and this allows us to explore themes and ideas and relationships that they're never going to do on the show itself. And I, I think seeing how this has exploded with the internet, I, I find fascinating. I wrote some fanfic back in the nineties. Um, not so much with the, the slash and the shipping and whatnot. Uh, some friends and I were playing the Marvel comics role-playing game and we had superhero characters. They were our own characters. And one of the guys in my group who that was shortly after he came out, I was with him as a friend as he was, as he was coming out. So he certainly explored some of those issues with his characters, but he started writing some short fanfic based on our characters in the Marvel role-playing universe. And then I wrote some, and then he wrote some. And after three or four years, we had like 40 short stories that, that we had written uh, and co-written. And just for me as a creative person, that was a really wonderful experience. It, you know, we got we got done, we printed them out for our friends, and I looked at it and went, wow, that's a lot of pages. I can write at length. And, and that, was, that was really eye-opening. I mean, since then, I've done a lot more writing. I've written novels, but that that process of sitting down in something that for me at the time was low stress. I wasn't writing this to 
submit anywhere or make my name or get paid. I was writing it for six friends who we played the game with and who would enjoy it. So I've had that experience of, of writing it, not so much the publishing online or being part of a community that does that. And you touched on it briefly when you talked about your friend exploring mm. issues that you know, were important to him. But you also said one of the great things about fanfic is we're talking about the opportunity to explore things that the show, the comic, the movie, the mm. novel might not explicitly explore. I would argue, you know, having seen the films and read several times the book Lord of the Rings, I would argue that it is possibly one of the gayest mainstream things ever written that's not explicitly about gay characters. Okay, okay because, because I'm the old guy here, are you, or the rest of you, National Lampoon, the magazine, in the late 60s, early 70s, published a parody of Lord of the Rings called Board of the Rings, and the main character's name was Dildo Buggins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I, I don't know if that counts as fanfic. It was it was a parody and it was all that. <laughs> well, but see, the book is. Yeah. Come on. Read between the lines, people. They're all gay. It, 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 that's, the, that's kind of the point. And I think that goes to Laura's sort of point where you're talking about exploring these things. Mm-hmm. You, you said Gimli and Legolas. Yes. And yeah. um, well. It, it is possibly the gayest mainstream book ever written. And to some extent, I think that has to do with the fact that uh, Tolkien was Catholic, mm-hmm. which is, as we all know, the gayest yeah. mainstream book. <laughs> <laughs> but which also has this very weird to me conception of relationships and this way of almost eroticizing relationships that for me don't seem to be erotic. They tend to say eroticize the relationships of nuns to Jesus. <laughs> and you're going, guys, do you really mean this to be erotic? Yeah. And I think some of that Catholic eroticism comes through in Tolkien's writing in ways that he probably did not understand anybody was going to read it. Yes. I believe he's probably working through issues of his own that he wants to sort of explore whether he's conscious of it or not. I can't know. And I don't really care, but how does that translate to, so you are not male. Everyone. (laughs) I mean, and again, not judging (laughs) or, or just if you, if you, cause I happen to be male, but I, I I can clarify for the viewer or for the listener who cannot see that Laura is not. And yet you chose to write about you're also not a dwarf or an elf to the best of my knowledge. So you chose these people as I want to explore this. This is something that I am interested in. You're not working through latent, you know, Catholic homosexuality of your own the way he is, but you are working through their relationship. Yes. And so for me, I'm one of those people who tends not to write standard humans. Um, (laughs) By which I mean, in cases where I'm writing two humans in a relationship, there's always something really weird about at least one of the humans. But I'm very often writing about non-human couples or ones where one is a human and one is not. And part of that is because I find standard humans reasonably boring, both in real life and Uh, in fiction. I don't find them very enjoyable. I'm sorry, Mav. I hate to break it to you after... (laughs) A friendship of this song, but but also when you are dealing with a a non-human character or a non-real culture, such as you're dealing with in Harry Potter, you have the freedom to make things really, really queer. And because people can have completely different conceptions of gender. Gender is really cultural. Well, if somebody's culture is completely different, how do they think about gender? If somebody's culture is completely different, how do they think about genitals that we would call intersex or if they're not human at all do they have super strange genitals you should see what spocks get up to and there's a there's a very funny tumblr post about how elf women have to have these penis penetrating vaginal tentacles in order to induce anaphylaxis because tolkien said that that (laughs) cheating among elves was fatal so there's this proposed mechanism that you have induced anaphylaxis through this this um, penetrating material. So people get very weird <laughs> and very queer, and it can be a lot of fun, and it can be very freeing. And you can write about all sorts of things that 
interest you, but that you either can't do with your own personal body. <laughs> Are you or, saying you don't have penis penetrating tentacles? <laughs> penetrating tentacles. Um, or you don't want to do with your own personal body for whatever reason. And, and I think that, that for a lot of people, that's really important. That's a kind of freedom they might not have in their day-to-day life. It's a freedom they might not have in their relationships. It's a way to do it and have a community to share it with, which I think is really interesting. I think that works very well. And then I'm going to segue into Bethany's topic. Typically with most mainstream speculative fiction, even though it is speculative, you are right. You know, it's not like we have a lot of stories where, hey, let's look at these aliens who are completely non-human. You know, Vulcans basically look like people, except for their ears are kind of pointy. So I assume they have penises and vaginas. That was never explicitly said, but Kirk fucks everything. So pretty much every female species in the series appears to be sexually compatible with, with Kirk. And, you know, there's no real reason for that. I say more about him than it was the other species. Yeah. Yeah. I, but I mean, we, we do make that assumption just because it's easier. And I think because at least with classic mainstream fiction, there's not a lot, you know, there's a lot of let's not explore sexuality all that closely. Let's not get into anything deviant. Let's be mostly heteronormative. Unless it's really a story about being gay, we can pretend that gay people don't exist. Bisexual erasure is another episode entirely, but bisexual people almost never exist in fiction unless they are absolutely important or you need a token slut. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm I'm yeah. not joking. That's that's well, absolutely I, true. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we're a villain. This does remind me the the alien thing. Just this just came to me as as we're talking many many years ago. A series science fiction series. The uh, science fiction fantasy author Piers Anthony, and I don't have all that information in front of me. I know there's he's a problematic author and and whatever. But there was a time he wrote hard science fiction, and there's a series. It was called the Cluster Trilogy, and I don't remember lots of details about it. But in that, he had very specifically very non-human aliens featured as main characters. And he delved very specifically in how they reproduced, how they had sex. Um, and say so this just came to mind as we were talking as one of the only examples I can think of. And the fact I remember it 35 years later, that's the first I encountered that sort of thing. But he, he really worked out. Here's their physiology. This is how they, they live in their world. And then the question that comes from that is, is okay, so how do they reproduce? You know, what is sex for the species that is really incredibly non-human? I went to a panel at Worldcon years ago. And this this was in Worldcon, was in, was in Philly. So it was, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago. And they had a panel on, on alien sex and alien sexualities and alien reproductive biology. And I remember going and being kind of amused at how much of it was pollen related <laughs> and how much was involved tentacles. But there were some people doing really interesting things. I think um, Cecilia Tan yeah. was one of them doing some very weird stuff mm-hmm. with alien sex. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Octavia Butler. Yes, absolutely. Did some really weird stuff with alien mm-hmm. sex, which was, which was great. Um, I'm particularly thinking of the stuff in the blood child. Mm-hmm. Uh, story, short story anthology. So there's some really great stuff out there, but you have yeah. to look for it and you have to yeah. know what. There's a couple of genderless Star Trek species. I know the Orville did one that was sort of controversial this year. I don't actually watch that show, so I've never seen it, but I, you know, I, I peruse the internet a lot. But it's my point was, you're right. It's not really dealt with beyond sex is almost always heteronormative unless there's a reason not to be even in science fiction. And that leads to, I was going to segue into sort of Bethany's thing about Orphan Black and the fact that they never, the show literally never deals with the fact that there could very well be an incestuous relationship. The show is entirely about dealing with weird social differences. You have characters who are queer. One of the main characters is a lesbian. There's at least one transgender clone. There are clones with more conservative politics, more liberal politics. They don't all get along. And it, and it really is trying to, to ask the question of what happens with nature versus nurture. There's a lot of hypersexual characters in the show. And yet, neither with the male clones nor the female clones. It never deals with the possibility of incest at all. 
which seems like a massively missed opportunity, given that you essentially have an infinite number of, of possibilities. When they added the trans character, he wasn't an original character. They just clearly wanted to talk about it. So he just shows up one day and it's like, oh yeah, one of our sisters is now male. And that was literally how much they explained it. And then they just sort of moved on with that from there because they wanted to talk about the issue. And yet, you know, incest was too taboo to, to get into. Right. And I think that there is a lot of homoeroticism between the clones, especially like Sarah and Cosima and uh, Beth and Allison. And I think fans picked up on that, even though the show didn't want to, you know, maybe go into that, mm-hmm. but fans did. And there's a ton of fanfic about it. And I think there's a lot of rich material there. There was a lot of possibility to even go beyond because, you know, some of the storylines, like you mentioned, the trans character, he only showed up for the one episode and was never talked about again. He, he shows up twice and he's mentioned a third time. And, and that's it. Right? Other than that, he does not matter. Yeah. I mean, you're right, though. You said the fans picked up on it. I came very late to Orphan Black in that I heard people talking about it and I started watching it with I think season three was almost over. And some and I said, I'm just going to watch it. So I started binging it. And then, oh, my God, I'm hooked on this. So I watched basically three, three seasons worth of television in a weekend. I just absolutely had to had to see everything. I spent three years going when are they going to tell me that Beth and Allison hooked up? Right. Clearly, this is happening. I mean, non-spoiler alert, it doesn't. Like, there, that's not what it's about, even though you don't write yeah. that kind of tension accidentally. <laughs> Tolkien did. <laughs> Tolkien was repressing things. I, I just, I, I refuse to believe that he did not have a particular drunken evening with C.S. Lewis <laughs> that inspired much of what both of them wrote. You that fanfic now. <laughs> <laughs> it says I didn't. Um, so that, because I want to move towards talking about the fact that most fanfic is written by women. A great deal of it is written by people who, if not queer, identify somehow with non-normativity as on, on the sexual or gender spectrum, if not specifically identifying as LGBTQ. It's a lot of it. And I believe that one of the reasons this is, is because speculative fiction, by its very nature, science fiction is about exploring possibilities. Fan fiction, in a way different from your your typical geek fan, especially, is very concerned with canon. And Wayne and I have talked about this a little bit on the show. And But fanfic is necessarily divorced from canon. It only works if you say... No, here's the point where something different happens. It's from my imagination and not from J.K. Rowling's or not from Gene Roddenberry's or Stan Lee's or whoever. And you're not trying to make it fit in with anybody else's continuity either. Right. It, it fits in with my personal continuity. And that allows me to explore something as crazy as I want to do, no matter what it is. Maybe it's, maybe it's a gay relationship between an elf and a dwarf. Maybe it's a gay relationship between two clone sisters. Maybe it's something completely non-sexual. It doesn't matter. But I, but I go and I do what I want. And because of many, many reasons that have to do with things that would could quickly consume this show, the typical geek community is very stereotypically identified as, you know, the 40-year-old virgin who lives in his mother, mother's basement and does not want girls coming in and playing with his toys. And fanfic is about exactly the opposite of this. Since, since it's just... You can change anything. Why can't Spider-Man be gay? Why can't, you know, and, and it allows you it allows you these opportunities that I think sort of almost invite the slash fiction community in a way that there's no other place in fandom in general that can that can specifically do that. Or at least that's my guess. Well, so I'm, I'm actually thinking about the non-sexual side of fanfic right now, because one thing that I'm seeing more and more of lately and that I think is really um, beautiful and fun to see is people take it, taking a step back from these source materials, many of which tend to be not just uh, too many dicks on the dance floor, <laughs> but also they tend to be really white. Yes. Um, and saying, well, why is this white? Why does this person have to be white? Why can't we write something where they're not? Um, and I think that there's a lot of this. Star Trek has more green people than black people. Star Trek has more green people than black people. I, I'm, I'm thinking there's a specific fan artist and I'm about to go look him up. He has this wonderful Instagram. He is Native American, I believe. And 
what he has done is he has reimagined Tolkien's elves as influenced by Native American styles. Mm -hmm. So he uses the dress of the tribe that he belongs to on some of them, face paint, jewelry. And it is astoundingly beautiful and like nothing I've ever seen before. Mm -hmm. And I think that when people say I'm making a space for myself inside this world, that's an amazing thing. And whether they are making space for themselves as a queer person or whether they're making space for themselves as a woman or a non-binary person, I know a lot of non-binary people in fanfic, or as a person of color saying, you know, we don't actually have to have this world that looks like this. And this is what it would look like if it didn't. I think it allows you to see these worlds in different ways, which is Mm -hmm. fantastic. And just all of these voices have been so underrepresented in not just geek culture, but just entertainment, novels, movies, whatever. And we're at a place where those voices are coming out and and we're seeing that come out in the mainstream. I mean, a lot of the people who start in fanfic eventually parlay that into a career. We're seeing more of those voices. Lumberjanes. Yeah. You know, stuff that's coming out and and becoming more mainstream and and those voices are being heard more than ever. But I do think that fanfic has been a place that has allowed that in a way that popular culture hasn't in, in the more organized places. There's say the voices are just so, so underrepresented that their voices that are, that want to be heard. So this is a place where that can happen. I think that's my favorite thing about fan fiction is you can find a voice, especially as someone like me that doesn't really write fan fiction, but reads a lot. Fan fiction is really what helped me discover my sexuality and to learn about relationships between women and sex, um, growing up really strict Christian. So it was like world opening, eye opening to discover that and to be able to read more and more stories. Cause like we talk about orphan black, there's a lot of possibility there and they do have Canon queer characters, but you know, it maybe wasn't as Mm -hmm. looked into as much as it could have been, or people aren't happy with where the story went, but you can turn to fan fiction And you can read more and more stories and in different settings or different cultures. And that's my favorite thing about fan fiction, I think. One of the things that actually that I've noticed that will happen in science fiction in general is when you do any kind of non-hetero white, you know, a non-normative character, you get one thing. You don't have a lot of gay black people. You certainly don't have a lot of gay Asians. You don't have, I mean, I I made a joke, but you don't have a lot of bisexual people at all, because if you're going to be queer, the, the fiction usually tries to force you to fit into a heteronormative world as much as possible, which means that if you're queer, your narrative is that you're looking for your one true love to settle down and get married because that's the only thing that you can possibly do. So, uh, so queer characters tend to be extremely relationship focused. So polyamory never happens. Bisexuality never happens because bisexuality would imply at least mentioning the fact that the character might be attracted to characters of two genders, which means two people and not just the one true love that you're sort of focusing on. There's very much a focus on a one true pairing, which is interesting because that's sort of an argument that happens in the fanfic community. What is the one true pairing, the one true ship that happens mm-hmm. even in the fanon instead mm-hmm. of the canon? I mean, I think that there are some people who are very invested in one true pairing. And this is where you get some very strange things like, you know, in, in Star Wars fan writing, there are the, the, the Raylo people and... <laughs> Then everybody who thinks that that the pairing Ray with Kylo is the worst thing in the history of ever, and but he's so dreamy. Did you see him wearing that shirt in last? Gen- oh, sorry, <laughs> his, his mom in his mom trousers. Yeah, it was, it was really. Funny. So, just as an aside, being as comfortable with my sexuality as I am. <laughs> That was the stupidest looking fucking outfit I've ever seen. <laughs> People were talking about, oh my God, he's so sexy in that, you know, he was not wearing a shirt. And I'm like, he looks fucking ridiculous. First off, I'm still not convinced Adam Driver is actually attractive. I mean, not that I'm convinced that I'm actually attractive, but Adam Driver, depending on the exact second 
I look at him and whether it's an ends in an even or odd number, he might be really cute or really ugly. And I can't tell. So. I, 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 I'm, I'm with Mav on this. I, I recognize I'm, I'm an old, you know, straight guy. So maybe I just don't get it. <laughs> yeah. But sometimes I do, but he looks so dumb. And I'm like, dude, get some pants that fit you. This scene is clearly here to make you the hunk of this movie. You're supposed to be, Oh my God, this is sexy. And I'm just like, what? He's wearing mom jeans, <laughs> except for he pulled them up to his nipples, and nobody does that. What are you doing? So yeah, so I, so I'm anti Raylo just because she could see him through the force connection there, and if she could see him, no one would ever want to be turned on she, by looking. She did tell him to put some clothes on. He did. Yes, I'm gonna I'm gonna write the fan fiction where she takes him clothes shopping, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> anyway, that's what I was saying about OT. There's some people who are very very serious about them. And then there are people who are very relaxed about them. Yeah. They might not want to read anything that isn't their OTP, but they're not going to be a head case about it. And I think that that's um, an important thing to point okay. out because there are people who, who seriously, you cannot have a reasonable discussion with them about anything. Are geeks on the internet? Are you kidding? No, no, it's amazing. <laughs> it's, good we're, it's good we're having this conversation so other people on the internet will know this. <laughs> And you know what? People who are wrong on the internet are, are a terrible tragedy and a blight upon this planet. <laughs> you know, there are, I have a great many friends with whom I do not share pairings with, or where we even find each other's pairings more than a little repulsive. <laughs> and you can be friends with them. And I have friends on the other side of the Due South Ray Wars, which is quite an accomplishment. Um, the, the, the television show Due South, they had a character named Ray Vecchio. The story is he went undercover and he was replaced by this other Ray who's a completely different actor. And depending on which side of the Ray Wars you fall, <laughs> this can be very, this was a really big uh, to-do in Due South fandom at one point. And for a long time, people on different sides of that basically couldn't communicate. And uh, that is still true in some some pockets of the fandom, but it doesn't have to be. Um, and a lot of, and people tend to think, oh, okay, you know, uh, fan fiction is teenagers. Do you have any idea how many 70 year olds I know <laughs> who are writing themselves some gay ass porn on the internet? It's a, a lot of us are very old and I'm not talking about, I'm 40. So it's not just me, but I, I mean, literally I'm talking about 70 year olds, probably 80 year olds writing fanfic. I mean, think about people who started writing Kirk and Spock together in the seventies and you're, you know, that was more than 40 years mm -hmm. ago. So Kirk and Spock, I get Raylo. I don't care about, I mean, the only relationship that makes any sense in the new star Wars at all that anyone could ever possibly care about is obviously yeah. Poen. Yeah. Like, this is what I'm talking about. People who are really into their OTP, like Mav, are very difficult to communicate with. It's clearly <laughs> an OT3 situation where it's Finn, Poe, and Ray. I don't it is. OT3 is my favorite droid. <laughs> <laughs> now we will segue briefly on our blog, www.voxpopcast.com. Cheap plug. We frequently ask for comments about what we're going to be talking about. I did that this week. An individual whom we're not going to name had some very problematic things to say that I did not agree with. And we've talked amongst amongst ourselves. And she complained that to look at the blog, it appeared that in her words, you just found the pairings that you wanted to talk about. And then Google image searched for an image and used whatever came up first. And I was thinking that is exactly what I did. Um, that would be the process by which people find images for blogs on the internet. Thank you. You know, the great thing about Slash is it allows you to explore a non-normative thing like, say, a three-way lesbian relationship between Hermione, Luna, and Cho. And I had an image that I'd found of the three of them in a lesbian embrace. Now, I want to admit something. I had originally said Ginny and Hermione. So I typed Ginny, Hermione, lesbian, fan art. And the one that I liked best was not that our blog is terribly safe for work, not that the podcast is terribly safe for work. I hope you listen to this with headphones. But the one that I picked was not safe enough for work that I wanted to use it. But I liked the guy's art style, so I chose another random image of his, 
And I just changed the blog to talk about a three-way relationship instead of Harry and Jenny. And the person who complained said her problem with it was it seemed to be a completely unhealthy relationship. And I looked at it and I was thinking, what is she talking about? And I don't know. Um, Bethany and I talked about this quite a bit, in fact. To me, there was nothing obviously unhealthy about the picture of the three of them other than the fact that there were three of them, which I'm okay with. Bethany? Yeah, I'm fine with that as well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and maybe she meant something else, but it didn't seem particularly rapey, which is why I used it, because the picture that I found originally of... Hermione and Jenny together was extremely fucking rapey. It was a rape fantasy picture, but I didn't want to get into the question of rape fantasies for this episode. So that's why I didn't use it. But there's certainly a question of what does it mean to write a rape fantasy story? And I didn't want to have that conversation. But what I think is in bounds, especially given everything we've been talking about, is what counts as an unhealthy relationship. In my head, I said, three-way lesbian relationship between these three characters. And that's something that to the extent that any mainstream fiction is ever going to explore anything non-normative. Dumbledore is gay in Harry Potter by word of God alone. If J.K. Rowling doesn't say it, people will just speculate and it doesn't matter. It affects the story in no way, shape or form. It really doesn't matter in the books. And you could argue that he's not except for the fact that the author says that he is. She is never going to say ever, 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 oh yeah, and by the way, lesbian triads are very common at Hogwarts. (laughs) 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 But I know people involved in lesbian triads in real life. I think it's more common than than not, to be honest. I mean, it's certainly not the most common thing in the world, but it's not uncommon. (laughs) I guess maybe just the the queer women I know, I think it's more common. More common. (laughs) That would be interesting. The majority of women in Earth are are in lesbian triads, which would be great. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, well, yeah, yeah. Well, that's my point. It's not uncommon, but I think that the way you sell speculative fiction, this again, talks about there are more green people than, than black people. There are, if, if you're going to do a gay character, mm-hmm. you, you're trying to sell this story of, and gay people are just like you. So that gay person has to be the most normal Christian. And again, we're in the world of Star Trek where religion shouldn't matter, but it is a very normative, white, Christian, middle-class, waspy view of normality except that the character is gay. Well, you, to back up a couple of episodes in Riverdale, you know, Kevin Keller on the show is the nicest guy in Riverdale. <laughs> yeah. so, so he He's gay, but he's in many ways the most normative in terms of his behavior other than that. In fact, his biggest side plot line has been him complaining to the fact that, look, when do I get to have yeah. my perfect happy ending that you guys all strive? It was implied for one episode, maybe that he was go- going on like hookup dates in the park. Cruising. But then, and yeah. then he quickly said, no, 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 this isn't yeah. for me. That I need makes to me think about, you know, there was a some intentional choosing of where to put limited activist time and energy in um, the queer community. And Gay marriage was one of the places mm-hmm. that that went, right? That time and energy. And that's really yeah. normative. I remember arguing with my mother about marriage equality. And she said, here's the thing. I used to hang out in, and she used what we would now consider a slur. Um, so I'm not going to repeat it. But she used to hang out in um, bars frequented by transgender people when she when she was young and she said nobody wanted to be married nobody was interested in that that's not what they were doing they had this completely different attitude they were looking for completely different kinds of relationships and she was so confused about why all this energy was going to marriage equality why did they want to be just like straight people so when you think about how how normative things are i think you also to some degree have to say You know, there are lots of queer people involved in the making of these shows. And over the past 20 years, a lot of energy has gone into making queer people more like straight people. Well, one of the ways you do that is through media. Mm -hmm. And you give, you can say, well, we have bisexual people are still slutty villains. They're bad and raw. And, (laughs) and, you know, that's, that's what we do with them. 
And then we have gay people who are exactly like straight people, except they're gay. And as a queer person who is in what looks like a heterosexual relationship, it ends up feeling like they're trying to change everything about us and make us exactly like everyone else. And assimilate everybody except bisexuals because they're evil and you need desperately need a slutty evil villain. So you've got Loki, you've got Lucifer, you've got et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. About 15 million of these people, you can find them. But in the comics, currently, Loki is non-binary. He's non-gender specific. Is, is is the way he's presented currently. He, he since he's a shapeshifter, he transforms from his female self to her male self and back with relative frequency. Lately, he's absolutely bisexual or pansexual. In, in actual Norse mythology, he gives birth to a horse. So yeah, 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 which works. But in the the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the vast majority of fans are going to associate Loki as Tom Hiddleston. And that character's barely got sexuality or gender at all. He's just Tom Hiddleston. You could not say with any certainty, I don't think, that the character from the movies is bisexual. We know he is because we know the history, but there's so little addressing his sexual self at all. I think they just don't want to deal with Loki's sexuality. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's too non-normative and you can't make it normative in any effective way, which I think is why they don't feel like doing it, or at least not in a movie format. Well, and there are very few bisexual characters in mainstream comics. For the purposes of this conversation, I literally mean the big two, Marvel and DC, because that's 90% of comic sales in America. And the only two I can think of now in... Any of the film or television properties from Marvel or DC are both on Legends of Tomorrow. Mm -hmm. That's Constantine and Sarah Lance. Technically, Valkyrie is as well. There's no way you would possibly know it from that movie. She's kind of sad when her lover is killed. And there's no way for you to even know that it was her lover. It's very vague. So I think a lot of it is exactly that for whatever reason because it's too weird for the normies out there you know we're trying to make two billion dollars out of this movie bisexuality is weird we're not touching that and, and i think that's what happened i mean there, the there is another one which is lucifer who is from the dc the dc vertigo title and okay, yeah. if you want to talk about making your bisexuals villains <laughs> how much better can you go than making them the actual devil i'm very fond of the character as he's written both in the comics and on television. It's my favorite dumb pretty show. <laughs> now canceled, so I no longer have a favorite dumb pretty show. I have to find a new one. We, we recommend Riverdale. I think my dumb for me. But again, you, you end up with this bisexual villain. And one of the, the interesting things to me, though, is that you've got two male bisexuals, which, as we all know, are unicorns and do not actually exist in the real world. <laughs> There's far more unicorns than there are male bisexual characters in the real world. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely astounding. Um, so we've got a got two-thirds representation there among our, our uh, comics mainstream by characters who have ended up on television. And I think that has to do, again, with our too many dicks on the dance floor problem. What's going on with that? And I sort of wanted to wrap back around to Orphan Black because I have some questions about that. I, that's the show I haven't watched, but I had understood from, let's go with, I know this from gift sets. <laughs> People were very excited about having a trans character show up. And people were excited about clones mm -hmm. with different sexualities. And um, having that character only there yeah. briefly seems to me to be kind of a grave disappointment. Are there bisexual issues addressed on that show at all? Are there... Yeah. Sort of. It's another... Yeah. I mean, they're avoiding non-normative sexuality. They're avoiding clone cest. Well, so... Kasima is, by word of God from the producers, she's bi. But functionally, she's a lesbian because there's only one relationship she has during the entire show. Yeah. And, and she calls herself a lesbian yeah, in the show. But by word of God from the producers and from the actress, they've said that she was bisexual. But you literally have no way of knowing it. The show was off the air by the time I knew that. Same issue. You know, she's she's absolutely a good guy. So she's not a villain. She's 100% absolutely a good character everything that she does. And she's damn near perfect in every way. She's smart. She's a quirky, gothy, alternative chick-ish, but she's very normative in every way, except for her sexuality, which you would assume is 100% lesbian from any textual yeah. evidence they give you. on the show. And then Delphine is the one who says she kind of comes out as bisexual on the show. 
and don't get me wrong. She's like, she's my favorite character, but she was definitely portrayed in the most, most of the seasons as like the shady, untrustworthy bisexual character who's like sleeping with different people yes. and, you know, double crossing and you never know where her true alliances are. Yeah. I mean, I guess the show's been over for a couple of years. We can spoil it and say she is ultimately a good guy. Yeah. But you yeah. are intended to mistrust her for the vast majority of the show. And the bisexuality sort of plays into that in the villain way that you're talking about. And I think for me, that's one of the things that that tends to appeal about fan fiction. I can write bisexual characters that I find it very hard to see anywhere else. And I like doing that. That's something that I do. I want to write them understanding their sexuality as a complete being. I want to write them coming to terms with mm -hmm. complex attractions. And you get, I think some young adult fiction is better at portraying bisexuals than fiction aimed at grownups. But as much as I love young adult fiction, it's not always what I'm looking for in my life. I imagine it might change. I mentioned briefly, Noel Stevenson, who from the fanfic world to writing one of the best comics ever. If you're not reading Lumberjanes, you should be. And it's more of a young adult thing, but it very explicitly deals with issues of transgenderism in a much more frank and honest and responsible way than almost anything that's ever been written in any other way, shape or form. And I think that one of the reasons that happens is Noelle Stevenson's like 26 years old. And I think as you have millennials moving towards being the driving force in fiction and baby boomers and Gen Xers, you know, frankly, dying. I, I, no, I, I mean, I hope that you'll get more of it. I, I think that young adult stuff is addressing a generation which is certainly more accepting of alternative sexualities to heterosexual straight well and just the the representation in in the media across the board there's so much more of that now than there was you know when i was young and as those voices mature and enter the business then yeah we're definitely going to see more of that sort of thing i think that's a good thing you know back in the 70s when i was young and and watching tv jack tripper pretended to be gay and you know his, his character was pretending to be gay to be able to live with two women on three's company and that was a major step on television as problematic as that show seems yeah. in 2008 it was the most gay friendly innovative show in the first recurring gay character was on soap in the late 70s uh, Billy Crystal played the part and and that was huge and it was controversial but that was kind of it Tony Geary from General Hospital played a gay man on the third episode of All in the Family in like 1970 or something first reference to homosexuality on mainstream TV there was a Starsky and Hutch episode too yeah and so you know, but it, it worked its way gradually into the mainstream but you know, no one was doing it at the time there wasn't a they, they didn't think there was an audience for it. There obviously would have been, but... We're decades away from Will and Grace. Right, yeah, exactly. And and now that all of those things happened, they were baby steps. All of those things have happened to get us to the point we are now. So a younger generation grows up taking for granted that they're seeing these characters, this representation and these voices. And it's still not great. It's better than it was in 1977. And the people who are being exposed to that media now and seeing those voices and having those voices accepted are going to end up creating more media that reflects them. And I, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, well, I think what it does is this, is this ties you back to the fanfic. It makes you go, OK, there certainly can be cis white men on television. And apparently we can have uh, a couple of gay women on, mm -hmm. on television. But if you're a transgender person, if you're an yeah. asexual person, if you're a bisexual person, this suddenly makes you go, what about me? What about me? And then, you know, if you can't, if you can't yeah. do it, the fanfic community says, well, come to us. Now, there are infighting problems that we could talk about, but the fanfiction community is relatively accepting of you saying, well, no, let me tell my story mm -hmm. and own that craft. <laughs> and sooner or later, if you're lucky, you become Noel Stevenson yeah. or you become E.L. James. Yeah. The, the nature of fiction, not just fan fiction, but the nature of fiction, you, if you are a writer writing fiction, part of your job is to create characters that you as a writer empathize with, creating characters that your readers empathize with. Not every character you write is a representation of who you are. So you have to be able to, as a writer, put yourself in the mindset of these other people, explore who these other people are, whatever that happens to be. And hopefully as a writer, you do the due diligence and you, you do the research and you talk to people who are different than you to be able to get those points of view. But you know, as a writer myself, if I was only allowed to write middle-aged white straight men 
my writing would be incredibly boring. I, I, I interact with different people in my life. My fictions need to have different people in them as well. And I, I think that's just the job of any writer, whoever you happen to be. And, and that's the, the place of any of this is just, I want to explore these different things, these things I'm interested in, these other ways of being. I want to see myself represented. I, but I also want to be able to understand, empathize with, with people who aren't me. I, I see that as a big part of the function of fiction. Well, I think the kind of thing that people say when they're, well, where does, where does diversity end when you're talking about fiction or television? Are you going to have a disabled black lesbian next? God, I, mean, I hope so. You know how many disabled black lesbians I know? Because, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I run out of fingers if I start to count them. Yeah, exactly. And I'm one white person living in a, a middle-sized city. And I'm going, well, you're just saying this to try and sound ridiculous. And these people are not ridiculous. And representing them is not ridiculous. And you sound like someone from a white-ass suburb to me now. Yeah. Well, and that's that whole, where does diversity end? Look around you. It doesn't. In, in the real world, it, it doesn't. doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just glad that Wayne is coming with me on the white-ass suburbs are not the real world. In the 1960s, the biggest show on television was about a talking horse. So, you know, <laughs> so, you know <laughs> fuck you. I, I now want to write slash fiction about Mr. Ed, but... Uh... There's okay. Just so you know, there is yeah. no way that slash fiction about Mr. Ed doesn't exist. Yeah, I'm not looking that up. I'm googling it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? There's only there's only three stories in the Mr. Ed fan fiction archive. But it's there. You've got a market untap untapped potential. You so can you can extend it. Yes. So anyway. <laughs> 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 oh, you just just take it in. Go ahead, take it in. Enjoy, enjoy your moment. There's a crossover fan fiction of uh, Mr. Ed and Dennis the Menace. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I love the internet. You can find everything. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, we've we've talked about your rural upbringings before. So. Wait, 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 wait a minute. The horse can talk. Shit. <laughs> oh god. So now we've got now we've got none. Now we've got issues of consent with the talking horse and what does it mean to be human? And <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Well, it's just, <laughs> yeah, this would be right up my alley with my non-human thing, but as a matter of fact. Oh, well, and again, this is why I love this community. And by the community, I, I don't mean just the fanfic community. I mean, Wayne and I were on another show recently where somebody asked me what my favorite comic book of the last couple of years was. And I said Vision, which was 12 chapter story about a super powered robot where almost no superhero stuff happens at all. It's 12 issues of robot family trying to assimilate into a white suburb. It is brilliant. And it is entire question of what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to grow up? What does it mean to be a teenager? What does it mean to be a, ho a housewife, a, a, a working husband from the eyes of these androids who are just trying to fit in? And to me, that's interesting. It's, it's really dealing with these issues it's taking the tropes of science fiction, the fact that they're superheroes, that they're robots, and trying to deal with an issue that everyone deals with. I don't care if you're gay or straight or honestly, you can be the whitest, malest, cis, the, the most normative person in the world still probably feels like an outcast somehow. And what what these stories are about is how do I feel normal? How do I fit in mm -hmm. and exploring that? And that's what makes science fiction interesting to me, speculative fiction, comic books. So I think it's great that there is a we live in a world that thankfully you don't have to just be a relatively talented and lucky white person with a reasonable amount of mm -hmm. money in order to get published anymore. And that was the case 70 years ago. Yeah, it's not that Hemingway was the best writer in the world. It's that That's who got public. and you're not going to necessarily become world famous by writing slash on the Internet. But if you can write a story gets your thoughts about pansexuality and the transgender community out and makes four other fans of Mr. Ed and Dennis the Menace read it. Wonderful. That's that's a that's a wonderful thing. And just that ability to post it on the internet in a Reddit forum or or wherever it, it gets published. Yeah, I mean the chances you are already being read more by more people than all those unpublished poets and writers from seventy years ago. You you there's an audience. The whole world can can see what you put out there. Uh, it that changes the game entirely. 
I mean, I am a random weird black guy yeah. who reads funny books for a living and no one was going to give me a radio show when, when I was born in the seventies, but I've got this. <laughs> hey, <laughs> I think it's great that there's a community that for whatever problems it has, yeah. at least gives the opportunity for people to have alternative voices. I remember. So my, my, my most recent uh, story got about, I think my most recent Legolas Gimli story, let me be specific, got about, I think a 10th of the comments and kudos as the previous one had done. And it was a much weirder story. And I didn't, I didn't think it was going to get anything like the previous levels. I wasn't, you know, delusional. And I don't think that everybody reads my stuff or anything like that. But the, the people who liked it really liked it. They liked the stuff I was exploring in it. They liked having access to a story that did that. And I thought that was, that was really touching to me as an author that I could write something that was kind of strange and experimental about gender and sexuality and have people go, Oh my God, I've never seen anything like this. And I didn't know I needed this. And this really gave me a space to think about different kinds of experiences. And I think all literature, right, gives you a space for invention, mm -hmm. for invention of yourself or the other of worlds. And it gives you a space for experiences, whether those are processing experiences you have had or that you want to explore or that you're just learning about. All literature gives you that. But access to that literature and access to an audience are the things that that fanfic gives you. You can find these things and you can make these things and you can connect with other people who need them. With anything, I hope people give this stuff a chance. You know, literature changes our lives. So I think it's great. You know, go seek out something, read about. It's, it's not just smut. It's not just, I mean, yes, there's a lot of smut out there and I kind of like smut, so I'm okay with that. But it's not just smut. Go and read other people's views. And even when you don't, when you don't agree with them, it's nice to like sort of see them and see where they're coming from and at least explore that in your, in your head as a reader and not just as an author. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, that, that ability to put yourself to try to understand where that person is coming from, even if you disagree with them, understanding them, I think is important. I, I, th I think that's a good place to finish. I would, Definitely like to thank both Bethany and Laura both for being here. This has been great. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for inviting us. Uh, Laura, you write fairly frequently. Where can people find your stuff? So if you're looking for my fan fiction, you can search on Archive of Our Own for Laura JV. And you will find many things in many different fandoms. Uh, some slash, some gen, which means no romantic pairings, some het some other, um, some of it very, very weird, such as an old story about Jabba and Watto having sex. Some of it significantly less weird than that. I'm very proud of that story. I have many, many questions, but you know, I, I won't ask you to spoil it on the show. <laughs> Bethany, what about you? Anything you'd like to talk about? Um, people can follow me on Tumblr and my Tumblr URL is Jedi Testor N7. And that is because, as we talked about earlier, with uh, Finn and Poe being like, you know, maybe the OTP, well, it's really hard to find two women to pair, but there was a female pilot named Jessica Pava, and I am part of a very small fandom that ships her with Ray. And that is why I have my Tumblr URL. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. Because that's exactly what we were talking about. This is the internet bringing people together mm -hmm. so that you can... Right. You can find those six other people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and two characters that never were on screen together or spoke. <laughs> but there's beautiful fan fiction out there. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. And, that, and, that's, and that's what the internet's all about. Uh, you can find me on, on my blog, www.chrismaverick.com. You can find me... On Facebook as Chris Maverick, on Twitter as Chris Maverick. I'm probably on Instagram when I remember to post. I was just posting pictures of my vacation in Myrtle Beach last week. Why? What I was doing when you guys were talking about 
nice serious holocaust stuff wayne where can people find you uh wayne-wise.com is my blog hasn't been updated a whole lot recently but there's several years worth of archives of me writing about all kinds of stuff uh comics and music and pop culture and random observations and other nonsense uh that's the main place i i am going to take a, a moment to hype up something i'm doing later this month i'll probably mention this in the next couple of episodes if you live in pittsburgh i am reading a a non-fiction piece a creative non-fiction piece at a reading series uh it's called the bridge series it's at the brillo box it's on june 27th that's a wednesday night i'll be reading with some other people the bridge series is a series of readings set up to benefit nonprofits in pittsburgh so it's like five dollars to get in and all the money goes to a nonprofit. there's an organization in pittsburgh called girls write pittsburgh that promotes women writing particularly young women writing and i'm doing this reading at, at a benefit for them so so that's coming up that's great. Young women. So let's find a 50 year old man. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the, 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 the rich series is benefiting their organization. So yeah. there so are young women involved in it as well. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's a wonderful charity. All of that will be on the blog uh, in the, and in the show notes for this episode, which means that if you're not following the blog at www.voxpopcast.com, please do. Please follow us on Twitter at Vox Popcast. Please subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure you leave us a review if you can. That helps other people find the show. I want to thank Maximilian of Thoughtform Music for the theme song that is playing right now that is really, really long. And I'm only really pointing this out this time because Wayne forgot to make fun of him last week. So I'm sure Max thought that he had a week off, but I still love the theme song. I want to thank our guests one more one more time for being here. Thank you, Bethany. Thank you, Laura. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. Thanks as, as always, Wayne. And we will see you all next time. Bye. 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 carry around in your head what I carry around every day in mine. <laughs> the point is, who'd have thought that technology would have reached a certain point where I would find myself alone in my office at work, shouting out loud at my own computer screen, when do I at least get to have a go? 